Creative Babble. This episode contains depictions of violence and may not be suitable for all audiences. When I first met John Cooper at a park in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, he told me about a night where his pastor, Jane Whaley, called for a meeting with some of the church's younger members. You see, some of these young adults found themselves in trouble with the church, and they needed some sort of intervention. He remembers Pastor Jane Whaley saying, You know, y'all are so out from under authority, and you're all, you know, given to so much sin, and you're so wicked. Um, And so y'all young people need to get together and, like, have a revival of sorts. There's probably about 40, 50 young people that were all told to show up. And so we show up on Monday night, and, and people are talking and sharing and whatever, you know, like they normally did, reading scripture. They were asked to go around the room and confess their sins. John remembers he and his wife were just sitting there quietly, just waiting their turn. You know, they're all going around and kind of talking about what God's doing in their life or what sin God is convicting them of. <laughs> but I, I was just sitting there being quiet, like, uh, like trying to figure out what am I going to say, right? Well over half of people have already said something and they're kind of working their way around and my wife and I are both just being like really quiet over here in the corner. And so they kind of turned on us and were like, what are y'all giving to? Like, what are, you know, why are y'all sitting over there? Um, you know, not, not opening your heart. Then things escalated quickly. And like almost instantaneously, they were like, you have unclean in your life. You're, you know, you're given to the unclean. You're doing something wrong. And of course they didn't know anything. They were like, something's going on between y'all. So they, they like grabbed me and like dragged me out of the chair and threw me on the floor. And then at some point, you know, it all becomes like a blur because like there's, you know, 40, 50 people, you know, uh, just like mobbing you, and they're all yelling at you. John remembers the beatings going on for 20 to 30 minutes. And so they start yelling at me, and then, you know, one of them, like, sits on my legs, and then another one's, like, grabbing me by this arm and just, like, violently shaking me back and forth, and I ended up, like, with bruises on that arm, just, like, finger marks, you know. Um, And then, you know, there was people behind me, like, whacking me in the back and shaking me around, and people grabbing my head, and then, you know... um, somebody grabbing the other arm. So I was like, you know, just like kind of held down. And then this guy who's just sits on my legs and starts punching me in the chest, like just punching me in the chest. And so he's just like punching me as hard as he can. And they're all at this point doing their blasting prayer where they're all yelling. Blasting, which you can hear in the background, is an ear piercing, screaming prayer that lasts for hours. We'll talk more about this in a bit, but at this point, you may have figured out that this isn't your typical Christian church. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend Radio. Stories about real people pretending to be someone they're not. Before she was ever a pastor, Jane Whaley described herself as the wife of a preacher and a stay-at-home mom. Her husband, Sam, he would travel, you know, overseas for work. And sometimes he would leave Jane to pastor the church while he was away. At first, it was a little hard for Jane to assume the role of pastor because she grew up believing that women weren't allowed to be in the ministry. But God spoke to her husband, Sam, and God said, Jane is the pastor. 
Later, Jane says she too spoke with God, and God told her the same thing. In 1979, God spoke to Jane again, and this time he told her to start the Word of Faith Fellowship. Since then, the Associated Press has interviewed 43 former members who have described years of terror, physical abuse, and isolation, all in the name of God. The world didn't know much about the Word of Faith Fellowship until the late 1990s when it was investigated twice for its treatment of children. But eventually, they were cleared. It wasn't until 2013 when a young man named Matthew Frenner led law enforcement to investigate. Matthew Frenner claims church members gathered around him in the back of the sanctuary and began deliverance, or beating the gay demons out of him. He said that's the church's way of curing his homosexuality. So what's the difference between a cult and a religion? Some may argue there's no difference at all. Religions and cults do have some commonalities, but then again, so do country clubs and fraternities and sports teams. I mean, there are some clear differences between a legitimate religion and a cult. First, a cult typically has a single, unquestioned leader who makes all the rules and doesn't have to answer to anybody else. Often members have to live together in isolation with little to no interactions with friends. Cults are known for extreme recruiting methods, often depriving their members of sleep and food as well as performing brainwashing techniques. The Word of Faith Fellowship exhibits all these traits and some. To me, it's the alleged abuse that concerns me and the fact that some of it may still be happening today. When John Cooper described to me the day that 20 people beat him repeatedly in the chest, He said that degree of violence wasn't typical. They would typically shake you. They would typically slam you on the floor and hold you down and, you know, again, shake you back and forth and yell at you. But, like, they wouldn't often use their fist and punch you. They they might actually, you know, hit you or, like, use both hands and kind of, you know, hit you in the chest. Shaking and slamming members on the floor is a form of deliverance meant to get the demons out. John says that that part was very typical. It was a very public thing when I was there, like in front of the whole church, they would beat you up or, you know, throw you on the ground or whatever. So um, I watched my cousin like get thrown through the drywall, like uh, in front of like probably 100 people. When church members got violent, they would also perform blasting prayers. Blasting, which is how Word of Faith members pray, it's almost unbearable to play on radio. Sometimes it was just a yelling sound like, like, ah, you know, just like no, no particular words, right? Sometimes like the prayer was more, was more, they were praying with you, right? You know, other times, you know, it was praying at you. It was dealing with you for, for your sin, right? And in those cases, there was a lot more of the yelling at you and yelling specific words. And then oftentimes they would actually yell for you. So, so what they would say is like, they would say what you should be saying. Because they expected you to be participating. They expected you to be following along with them. So they would yell, you know, Forgive me, Jesus! Forgive me, Jesus! Forgive me, I'm coming under that idol! Forgive me, Jesus! So this is him kind of modeling, like, this is what you're supposed to say, right? You know? And they weren't saying forgive them, right? They're, they're telling you to say that, basically. And you're expected to say, forgive me, Jesus. And then they would say, you know, change my heart, Jesus. And you say, change my heart, Jesus, you know. And so, and you got 20 people around you yelling all different things at you. 
John and I are sitting at a park listening to blasting prayers that he was able to record before he escaped. People are probably like, what the hell is going on? Even me not growing up in a normal environment and not knowing what normal was, like, I still had enough sense to like know certain things were just really weird. There was actually a phase where Jane was telling everyone, if you have an unclean thought, which, you know, like, you, you see a girl and think, you know, oh, like, she's attracted. Or, you know, it just catch, even if you don't think any active thought, but like, it just catches your eye. Like, a girl catches your eye, that's unclean. And so you should uh, blast that unclean. And so, like, she, she actually had people standing up in the middle of church service and just yelling out, like, because she told people to do this. Like, it doesn't matter, like, if where you're at, where it doesn't matter where you're at, um, you should, like, blast it in that moment. Unless you're in public. Church members are not allowed to perform blasting prayers in front of non-church members. If that happens, well... If you're in public and it happens, then you need to go into your car and, and blast. So, so, for example, we're in church and they're talking up there and I see a girl and I have like an impure thought. Yeah. I should just start yelling. Yeah, just... Warning? Like, yep, yep. So that, but that was a phase. That was a, a short phase. Oh, okay. And then I think she realized that it was crazy. Cause like, that startles people. Oh like. yeah. Cause it was startling people. It was like interrupting the church service. And there were a few people who, uh, again, like people are trying to get to heaven. Like people legit buy into this. And so some of these people are, you know, like legitimately every time they had an impure thought or, or noticed uh, a guy or a girl, you know, they uh, would, would do this. And so there were, there were a particular group of people who just kept like interrupting the church service because they were taking it so seriously, right? And the rest of us are just like, you can't oh, laugh. please. Oh, definitely not. No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was another thing you could get kicked out for. And I did at times where like something happened. It just was so silly. I asked John about the disturbing reports of child abuse involving infants. John says that babies weren't normally beat up, but they might be shaken and held down. I remember, you know, like little babies just, you know, screaming and so they're they're sitting there blasting them and just like holding holding them where they can't move, you know, and the baby's like trying to, you know, fight or whatever, you know. So yeah, they they blast babies all the time. Like if your baby's crying and like you can try like giving them the, bo- the bottle or, you know, putting them to sleep or changing their diaper or whatever, but like Otherwise, like you, if you know how babies just cry occasionally, and sometimes you don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's a baby, but that is like demons or something. That's demonic. That that is the devil tormenting that baby, because a a a good godly baby like should be peaceful. And so, if your baby is crying and you can't figure out the reason, then it must be the devil tormenting them. And so they, you know, like parents would would blast with, like, blast at or with their baby for, like, hours sometimes. Eventually, the baby would quit crying. They blast it for an hour or two, and the baby finally, like, stops crying and goes to sleep, and they say, oh, it finally broke. I mean, that was a really severe attack from the devil. I'm like, no, the kid, like, yelled until they got exhausted. Either way, they were going to keep going until that demon broke. When I asked him how they treat their elderly, he said they would scream at them, but for the most part, they weren't physically abusive. So who is Jane Whaley? What is she like? How can one person have so much control over individuals, a congregation, practically an entire town? I mean, why don't people just leave? 
But I was like two or three years old, you know, this is my, like my memory of like not even being tall enough to see like over the people in front of me to see her, but just hearing her yell like at the top of her lungs. Over the years, Jane made it a point to isolate herself from others. Even before church service, she would hide in her office. Uh, Jane like didn't mingle with us, right? They would get started without her, and when she was ready, she would come out and preach. So we would like sing basically until she was ready, and she would like show up, and then they'd be like, "Okay, we can stop singing," and then she would, you know, talk. So that was my interaction with her over the years was like seeing her from a distance and being like terrified of her because like. She was the ultimate authority. Um, Jane was always like the ultimate threat. So like, you know, if you're disobeying, you're not doing what they tell you to do, you know, and they they might threaten you with a spanking and then you're like, I don't care, go ahead and spank me, you know. And then they would be like, oh, well then I'll call Jane. And that was scary, like really scary. Um, So that's all I knew was like, she was like the boogeyman. I was so terrified, like terrified to speak to her, terrified to like look at her the wrong way, you know. And, and like I was a kid, you know, I just, and so like if she was coming down the hall, you'd be like, you'd be like putting on your best face, smiling and be like, don't yell at me, you know? Cause like she would randomly just, you know, hear a story about you, you know, from someone else who reported you, right? And they'd just like come up and just yell at you or, you know? So she spanked me a few times as a kid and I was like, I was scared of her more than the spanking, you know. Like, I remember just, like, physically just shaking uh, as a kid when I had to, like, talk to her or something, you know. Because um, she's not physically threatening, like, into... No, no, like, I mean, like she's an old lady, you know. Yeah, so she's, I don't, she's probably about five, four, uh, old white lady with, you know, uh, like, this golden colored hair. Uh, I I remember Jane, you know, very explicitly, and I have a recording of, of her, you know, saying, you know, throw them on the ground and get their doubles out or that kind of thing. Often she would say that. Why didn't you get him and throw him to the ground and get his devils out? Grandmother, I need to talk to you by yourself. Please. You can talk to me by yourself, but not now. That's a seductive devil right then. You're dead. Every one of them should have turned around and took you to the floor and got those devils out of you. She would talk about, you know, slamming people into the wall or whatever. Um, And then we watched it happen like so many times. So is Jane just pulling a fast one on everyone or does she really believe what she's preaching? I definitely think thought growing up that she bought it and I still do. I, I, I think the more likely explanation is she's just that crazy. Like she actually believes um, in what she's doing. Um, and she like be- actually believes that she is a, you know, a prophet, an apostle. Like she actually calls herself an apostle of God. Again, just as a refresher, cult rule number one, you need to have an unquestioned leader. Rule number two, you need to isolate your members from the rest of society. Word of Faith Fellowship does this by making everyone believe that they're going to hell. In order to get to heaven, you have to go through Jane first. Because Jane speaks for God, because Jane, you know, is the one who runs everything and basically whatever she says is what God said. You know, she always says, like, this is what God told me to tell you or, you know, this is what God is saying. So this was the only place in the world where they were doing things right. Um... And even if you're in the church, you're not guaranteed to go to heaven, right? Like Jane would even, you know, just was constantly, you know, yelling at church members or, you know, uh, from the pulpit saying, you know, how y'all are all wicked even and you're going to hell um, unless you unless you repent, unless you change your ways, unless you basically follow what she was telling everyone to do. Um, 
And so just that in and of itself, as a kid, um, I know that probably to you and probably to a lot of people who didn't grow up with that kind of a threat, um, it, it probably feel, it, it just seems like a foreign idea to actually be scared of going to hell for questioning something. Um, but like, that was legit. I'm not a psychologist, but this sounds like a classic case of Stockholm Syndrome, where hostages align themselves with their captors in order to survive. What else could keep these people from leaving when the door is wide open? And I, to be honest, wasn't as scared of being physically abused as I was of like being isolated or, you know, like a lot, to me, a lot of the psychological tactics were actually like worse. So tell me about, so the isolation was always there. Like when you say isolation, it means like you can't play, like you're being punished or you're physically isolated and you can't. So there were versions of it. There were like degrees of isolation. So um, they, again, they called it like church discipline or church discipleship. When a kid misbehaves, they are kicked out of school and sent to a special class where they are not allowed to talk to each other. This is the first degree of isolation. There were very limited freedoms, but whatever those were, were taken away. And you weren't allowed to do schoolwork, so you had to, you know, sit there and read your Bible um, and then often just listen to hours and hours and hours of, of tapes. So they had, you know, um, when I was really little, like, cassette tapes. What, like, you're sitting in this room and you're like, obviously you don't want to be there. Right. What do you do? You're like, do you watch the screen? Like... Yeah, you could make a choice to look away and not watch the video, you know, while you're on isolation, but um, but that would just make it last longer. Is there somebody there watching you watch the video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, always a teacher in there, and they're watching you. And again, it's only a couple kids. And how, so, is like, it an hour? Is it? No, it's all day. And that's the mild version of isolation. The more severe versions. There's actually multiple more severe versions. So you could be like on, on a more severe version where you were like isolated um, at home and like not even allowed to come to church. Not going to church means you're not going to school, which means you're not gonna see your friends. You're basically left alone for days. Probably the longest at any given time was like a month or two. Um, and, uh, but other people, like my brother, one of my older brothers, um, was isolated for, I want to say, about a year. What happened to my brother was that, like, not only was he isolated at home, not allowed to come to school, not allowed to do anything, he had to um, stay in his room and, uh, and, like, not even come down for dinner. Like, my mom had to take a plate to his room. And then when he was done, she would go up and get his plate and bring it down. Like, he wasn't allowed to, we weren't supposed to make eye contact with him. He wasn't allowed to talk to us, see us. He had to stay in his room. What could a kid possibly do to deserve being isolated for a year? John says his brother and four friends were kicked out for giving in to foolishness. Foolishness is a term they use when kids get out of line. Literally, they were kicked out for over a year because they had been telling jokes and, like, cutting up in class. That's what they were kicked out for, for a whole year. So that, that's what I mean in terms of like, yeah, the physical abuse was bad at times, you know, that, I mean, but like the psychological part, like that's what I dreaded. I, I did not want to be kicked out. Like that's, I mean, like I remember just very vividly, like that's what I was scared of. Then it got worse. In the early 2010s, around the time John was in high school, Jane instituted the worst version of isolation. J 
Jane felt that too many men and boys were having erotic thoughts, she sent them away to get disciplined in what is now known as the lower building. This, John says, is where the worst abuse happened. Dozens of men and boys were forced to live here until they got the demons beat out of them. It's not just John Cooper saying this. 42 other former members told the Associated Press the same horrifying story. The AP reports that even some school-grade boys were placed in a makeshift prison with other adults. They say as many as 30 people were crammed into the building at one time. Picture this. The lower building is a one-story, four-room building with very few beds. Many had to sleep on the ground. There were no bars on the window, but occasionally someone would try to escape. But they were eventually found, returned, and beaten. Of course, by this time, uh, the physical part had changed to more of the, you know, less of the spanking and more of the beating and pushing. And um, Jane would talk about it from the pulpit all the time and talk about people that she sent down there and um, talk about how evil and wicked they were. Fortunately for John, he was never sent to the lower building, but others close to him weren't so lucky. Like, I didn't see my dad just for like a whole year, just like never. Wait, he was... In isolation for a year? Yeah, or longer. I don't, I'd have to ask him the exact time, oh but I just, I just like did not see him for probably over a year, yeah. Jane Whaling reportedly shut down the lower building in late 2012 when she feared the police would maybe one day pay her a visit. They had kind of disbanded the lower building by that time because, again, uh, anytime they felt the heat, they would change what they were doing. I remember vividly that when this story broke, Jane, like, uh, called together a group of like 30, 40 guys um, and and sent them all down there and was like, y'all fix that place up fast. So evidently they went down there, they cleaned it up, you know, only had a couple beds left, um, like new drywall, new paint, new, uh, I think even new carpet, I don't know. They, like they totally revamped that place within like 24 hours. The raid never happened. Next time on Pretend Radio, John Cooper remembers one of the ministers commanding him to hit someone. Like, she told me to do it, and I was like, no, I will not do that. And so somebody else jumped in and did it, you know. And um, you watched it. Well, yeah. We'll also hear about John Cooper's family and their attempt to leave the church. So at that point in your life, did you realize that they wanted to leave? Or no, so we were... Afterwards? Right, so we were never... I didn't know what had happened. All I knew was that, like... Uh, some of these ministers were always coming over the house. Like, I knew something big was going on behind the scenes because, um, like, you know, these people were coming over. Uh, they were sleeping with us. Like, actually, one of them slept in my room a couple nights. Then it finally happened. I was already wanting to leave again for a long time, but that was kind of what pushed my timeline because I knew I had to, like, take that opportunity. The Prophet, part two, next time on Pretend Radio. Our theme music was composed by Other Electricities and Adamus and Dimpass. There are so many amazing stories I have to share with you. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow us on Twitter, pretend underscore radio. Creative.